Hey mamas, I'm Alyssa, registered dietitian, picky eating specialist, and mama of two. You're listening to the Nutrition for Littles podcast, aimed at helping you raise healthy, independent eaters. Each week, we will tackle topics like picky eating, mealtime struggles, baby led weaning, and so much more. Let's jump right into today's topic. Hey, 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 and welcome back to the podcast. I'm so happy that you are here, especially this time of year. Maybe you're listening to this while you're driving to friends or family's houses for the holidays. And today we are going to be covering all things holidays and handling picky eating around you know, just big events and whether that's Thanksgiving for you or Christmas or Hanukkah or just, you know, Friendsgiving or New Year's Eve parties or whatever it might be. I just wanted to cover a few main tips that I wanted to share with you this year to hopefully make feeding your picky eater around the holidays easier. I actually just wrapped up the call for my table talker. So anyone who's a part of my table talk course, by the way, if that's you check your email, um, I just did a live call this morning. So I'm literally recording this the day it goes live. And I did an entire live call about mastering the holidays, making it magical, even with a picky eater tips to handle uncomfy food comments towards your picky eater, towards you, towards your parenting, body sizes, all those sorts of things. We also talked about different tips and strategies to put in place to actually get your kid to eat foods during the holiday meal. Um, that's not just like the roll or the pie. Not that there's anything wrong with those foods, of course not, but it'd be nice if they tried something new, right? So we talked about that. We talked about different dish ideas, recipes, all of the things for holidays for our little ones. And then we had some Q&A. So A, if you're a table talker, if you're part of the table talk community, check your email because you got the replay link sent to you as well um, today. So that would be the 21st of November. If you're not a table talker yet and you want to be, check the link in the description box below to go ahead and hop on in and the replay is available for you. So um, you can always go in and grab that as an extra little bonus for you when you join. Um, And if nothing else, if you have not started with my free training yet, I highly recommend to start there. It's free. It's about an hour worth of your time. I I promise you it is so, so worth it to help get you started on the track to reverse picky eating. It is where all my table talkers started. It's where so many parents have found real, realistic, tangible tips to start reversing picky eating in their home. Even just the training alone is really valuable. It comes with a download. Um, You also get my feeding faves guide for free just for going. So uh, it is definitely worth your time and energy. So if you haven't started with anything, I would start there. Again, the link will be in the description box below. Okay. I wanted to go into some of my top tips to hopefully help you feed your picky eater around the holidays and make it a little bit easier, a little more smooth and hopefully line up with what you want most out of the holidays. Which really brings me to my first point or the first thing that I want you to think about and consider is what is most important to you? Where do your values lie? What do you enjoy most about the holidays? What's most important for you to get out of these next few events out of this time of year? Is it more time with your kids? Is it watching families and friends who typically aren't around your kids interact with them and engage with them more? Is it having adult conversations that you can actually finish and not get interrupted 1,000 times? Is it um, a time where your highest value and priority is for your little one to try new foods or to you know act a certain way at the table, uh, maybe have some manners around that sort of thing? What is most important? And a really great way to do this is to actually picture yourself on the drive home from the event and what would make you go, oh, that was such a success. I can't wait to do it again next year or next month or whenever that next time is, right? What would have to happen at that event for you to feel that way? 
Now in that same breath, I want you to notice and recognize what's coming up for you. What's most important. What's your highest value and then hold it loosely, right? Because we have small kids and things do not always go to plan. They get sick, they get rowdy, they get crazy, they get excited, they get overwhelmed, overstimulated, they have meltdowns. We're not in control of all of those things. We're not also not in control of the other people who are coming, right? We have friends, family, aunts, uncles, distant relatives, close relatives, neighbors, all of these people who might be coming to these events that we also can't control. So while yes, it's important to think about what our highest value is and our highest priority and what would make us feel like it was a success, it's also important to have flexibility, be open that the fact that other people are coming in with their values and their priorities and what they want from the event and from the experience. So we want to hold on to it loosely while also saying, okay, this is what's most important to me. Now, how can I set up this entire event for success for our family. What is it that not only do I want, but the family wants? What kind of moods are we in? What kind of maybe temperaments are we having lately? What kind of stages or phases are we in that are difficult? And how can I set my family up for success? Maybe that's setting certain boundaries around what's said or what's not said, where events are held, how long you're going to stay, what types of foods are served, under what circumstances those foods are served, all of those sorts of things. So trying to figure out what those boundaries are, actually physically writing them down, having that discussion with your partner, with your family, whatever that looks like, Um, even in advance calling whoever the host is or whoever's coming to your event and setting those boundaries ahead of time can be so helpful in managing expectations and recognizing what's important to each person. So hopefully everyone can get a little bit of what they want out of the experience, right? And sometimes I think we can tend to think that all of this thinking can create like not such a fun environment and make it more stressful when actually preparing and understanding and internally un- like realizing what our actual goal is, is the exact thing that's going to make the event successful. Because if we don't know what it is and we don't communicate that to anyone, we don't set ourselves up for success. We don't even recognize when we have it. Sometimes at the end of an event, we'll go, oh, that was kind of a letdown, but we can't really know why. Or we'll say, man, I really wish Uncle Joe would have done his magic tricks or whatever it was, but we never asked him to. Or we really think in our head, man, there are so many negative food comments. I really wish it wasn't that way. But we didn't do anything about them. We didn't prevent them ahead of time. We didn't stop them in the moment. And then we just kind of have that feeling of like, wishfulness or uh, frustration that things were the way that they were, but we didn't do anything to create it the way that we wanted it because we didn't take the time to imagine what we wanted. I hope you're tracking with me because this can be a really overwhelming thought process. And this is something we got into really deep inside of today's call with my table talkers is really imagining and figuring out and planning out what is it that we want? What's most important? What can I let go of? What can I speak into? What can I prevent? What can I, how can I set my family up for success? both beforehand and in the moment and afterwards, believe it or not. So there's so much we can actually do and control, but we can't do that on the fly. Most of us can't. And even if we try to, it likely won't be as uh, effective as if we were doing it ahead of time. So I hope that's kind of helpful to kind of set the stage there. And I want to encourage you that if you haven't already thought of some of the comments you might be handling or how you're going to handle them, maybe from past experiences or from what has happened with friends or what you're kind of worried about, to not just try and suppress that and think, oh, I hope that doesn't happen, but actually make a plan for if it does happen, how are you going to handle it? How specifically are you wanting to continue on in that relationship And how can you support that through the way that you talk to them, the way that you respond if they make a comment that's uncomfy, um, how you 
talk with your child or with your family. If there are comments that you weren't happy about that happened, or if you said something that you wish you wouldn't have, I think all of those things can really be avoided if we have a plan in place, which again, I know can feel a little overwhelming, but it is far worth the time if you just take even just five minutes to make a plan and have something in your back pocket in case you need it. I wanted to share a recent Instagram post that I shared on my Instagram. If you didn't see it already, um, you can go ahead and scroll my page and find it. But a lot of times parents just don't know what to say. Like they're blindsided by a comment or they're surprised or they just kind of like stumble through it and hope that it goes away. I do want to encourage you to really explore it, take a breath and try to think through how best to respond to it. I have a few examples on my Instagram I want to run through with you because I do think that they're really helpful. And even if it's not this specific example, I think you can take bits and pieces from what I put together for you and make it your own. So the first one is someone commenting, aren't you going to try my stuffing? I spent all day making it. This is rooted in a guilt trip. I know that likely the person who said it does not mean for it to be a guilt trip. They probably have no intentions of, you know, malice towards your child or towards you. But really what that is, is a guilt. I spent time. You owe me this. You owe me a bite because I spent time making it right. That is guilt. Intentions being good or not, regardless, it doesn't matter. It really is a guilt trip. And so what I like to say and how I reframed it or how I responded to it in this post is thank you so much for making your famous stuffing. We will have to take some home and try it on a less overwhelming day. We need to reinstill in, especially the adults in our life, that this day is overwhelming, not just for the kids, by the way, for the adults as well. It's overstimulating, their nap schedules are off, everything is you know, circulated around uh, this big group of people, regardless of the holiday, that's a lot of stress on a child. And so it's really helpful to not only extend a thank you for what they did, what, you know, the traveling they did, the cooking they did, the ideas that they gave, whatever it might be that they contributed, acknowledging that and making them feel heard and understood and and appreciated and stating a boundary and letting them know when this is going to go over best at home alone without a thousand people watching and a guilt trip, right? Another uh, kind of comment that might come up is finish your plate so you can have some pie, right? And if you've been around for a while, you know that I do not recommend holding dessert hostage, making them earn it in order to get something like pie that they maybe only see once a year, specifically things like pumpkin pie, like that's not coming around all too often, right? And so the way that I had written to respond to that is we trust him to tell us when he's full, no matter what his plate looks like. I'm excited to have pie all together, okay? So the whole idea of this is, hey, we trust him and we're excited to have pie, regardless of how much he eats off of his plate, we are excited. This is a family event. No one has to earn anything. You don't lose anything pie exists and you deserve pie because you exist, right? This has nothing to do with how much or how little food you eat. When we start playing the game of if you eat this, then you can have that. We start to put food on a different pedestal. We start to put it in a place where it's earned and not just existing, which is not true for real life. And we start to put it in competition with other food. I have to eat this bad food to get to the good food. And We are actually doing the exact opposite of our intention because I know a parent's intention is to get them to eat the good food because it's healthy. What we're actually doing is reinforcing this idea that the good food is bad, like the healthy food is bad and gross, and you have to get through it in order to wait for the good stuff that's like unhealthy. And we actually unintentionally do the opposite where we reinforce these beliefs about healthy food and unhealthy food, that there's good and bad and morality around it, which is simply just not true. And it will lead to the outcome of your child being obsessed with like, quote unquote, unhealthy dessert foods that they have to earn and feel special to eat. 
versus the foods that like are forced down their throat in order to get to the good food. So we want to make sure that we put them on an equal level playing field. Now, this does not mean that dessert is available 100% of the time, 100% of the days of their life, and they get to eat it whenever they want. You're still the parent of how often this food gets served. I'm saying they don't have to earn it. It just exists. They can put it on their plate with their other food and they can enjoy it. Okay. The next one is, wow, great job eating. You're such a good boy. This one comes off really innocent because it's praise, right? You're saying, oh, good job. I'm so proud of how much you're eating. You're such a good boy. We say we're so proud of how well he's sitting at the table with us making memories. We shift the focus to how much they're eating to how they're behaving at the table. There are certain behaviors that we want to water, that we want to encourage and uplift. The amount of food that they're eating has nothing to do with that, right? If you think of a kid who is about to get sick, like let's say they're developing the stomach flu and they haven't been able to tell you and they eat a ton of food, you go, oh, good job, good job. Is that really good job? No, it's not because they actually probably don't feel like eating. They're about to get sick. They just don't know how to communicate it to you, but yet they want to get your praise. So they eat a ton of food and then guess what? Their sickness is 10 times worse because they ate food in order to please you, not because they were listening to their body. There's a thousand other examples just like this, but that's one of them that I think is the most relevant to parents. I actually had a parent come in after taking Table Talk. She had actually just started the program just a few days before, and she said, I'm so glad I listened to your course because I didn't force my kid to finish his plate for the first time in I don't know how long. And then he ended up getting sick that night. At the dinner table, he said, oh, mom, I don't want to eat. I don't really feel that hungry. And she was like, okay, well, you don't have to eat if you don't want to. Just know this is the last time that we're eating until tomorrow morning at breakfast. And he was totally okay with that. And then sure enough, he got sick and he was actually listening to his body. That's why he didn't want to eat. And she was so grateful that she hadn't done what she had done a hundred times before and telling him to finish his plate because he was actually getting sick. And she then was able to trust his body a little bit more to do what he needed to do in order to stay healthy and stay true to what his body needed. Okay. The last one is, wow, he's pretty picky, huh? Like we'll probably hear that. Right. And so what we like to say is he's not picky. He's just learning how to eat. It's a process. We want to take that fixed mindset into a growth mindset. So hopefully some of those ideas have kind of spun some wheels for you, um, in your own life and in your own relationship. And you can check out the post on Instagram to grab that a little bit further and, um, make it your own and make it fit kind of your conflict resolution style, your ability to handle confrontation, the, the relationships you want to preserve, what's important to you, all of the things. So hopefully that is helpful for you. Um, the next thing that I kind of want to talk through are just some tips to help them eat the holiday meal. Now we went deep in this live class today, but I want to pull out a few kind of higher level tips to help you in your home that goes above and beyond maybe some of the typical ones that you might hear. So you might've heard to keep their schedule the same as close to possible. Um, you might hear to bring them their own food to eat so that at least they have something to eat. You might even have heard to, um, not pressure them at the table, to have them seated by you at the table, um, all of those sorts of things, to lower your expectations. All of those are really, really good tips. But I want to talk through a few that maybe is or are kind of hiding that you didn't really think about. So number one is to feed them a high protein, 
favorite meal before the event. So we want to make sure that they're nice and full beforehand. In fact, you could even give them a nice balanced snack beforehand so that anything they eat at the holiday meal is kind of bonus, right? Like we're not relying on this meal for major nutrition. We're not expecting very much of this meal. We can actually truly lower our expectations because we know that they're getting food elsewhere and their nutrition is coming from other parts of the day, the week, all of those sorts of things. This is also really important um, to not compare how much they eat to how much their sibling ate or how much they ate yesterday or how much they ate last year. We're not comparing here. This is just one meal, one day of one week of one year of their life. And so I know a lot of pressure gets put on this food, especially for us too, mostly because we're so afraid or have a scarcity mindset around this type of food that this is the only time we're going to get it. It's kind of like Reese's pumpkins. Like they only come around out around Halloween and people like stock up on them because they're their favorite and they only come out around Halloween. It's that same scarcity mindset with food. And oftentimes as parents, we have this scarcity mindset around food. So then we try to pass that onto our kids. Like if you don't eat this now, you're not going to be able to eat it again until Christmas or until next year, right? And that's really not the message we want to send our kids. In fact, you can go even above and beyond. And I don't know if you know this, but you can make sweet potato casserole on in April. You can make turkey any day you want. I mean, I don't know why you'd want to, but you could. You could make corn casserole in July. It really doesn't matter. And I, I do want to encourage us to reevaluate and evaluate our own relationship with food and scarcity and what needs to be eaten and how much needs to be eaten and what this meal means and really what it actually means for us. Like for me, it's about spending time with friends and family and being grateful and celebrating um, everything that we have and honoring that. And, uh, you know, so much more, I can go down that road even further. It's not actually about the food. Sometimes we tend to make it about the food and we don't want to be pushing that onto our kids. Uh, I absolutely do not want to encourage you to add any sort of pressure to your kid because believe it or not, even if we are doing everything right, even if we are not pressuring our kids, we're setting them up for success, we're doing all the tips, all of the things, they're going to feel more pressure to eat simply because it's a formal holiday meal. There's more people, there's more eyes, there's more colors, there's more options, there's more smells, there's more light, there's more energy. All of the things are happening. So they are going to feel additional pressure already. So we don't need to add anything to that. We don't need to continue to add weight. We don't need to continue to add layers of pressure. We actually want to do our best to set them up for success, to release that pressure and encourage them to be themselves, to enjoy their meal, of course, be respectful of other people, but also set them up for success. We don't want to go four hours without eating a meal and then be like, oh good, now they're nice and hungry so they'll eat everything I put on their plate. That backfires. We want to make sure that we're following a rhythm. We're not going too long without eating. We're maybe trying to limit overstimulation. We're trying to help them navigate the relationships and social environments that might come with holiday meals and really be their cheerleader and their support. Okay, one more tip here that I want to share with you. And I know for us Americans, Thanksgiving is tomorrow. So of course, for Thanksgiving meal, we have one day, but for, you know, Hanukkah, Christmas, New Year's, Christmas Eve, whatever kind of events you have coming up, we've got a little more time, but that is to prep, do some sort of preparation with your child. Even if that's just verbally on the way to the event, telling them what they could expect, you know, what mealtime is going to be like, who's going to be there, what types of foods they might see, what types of colors or smells they might experience, you know, all of these things, we can do our best to prep our children to know what to expect, we can take a lot of the anxiety out. And when we take any anxiety or anxiousness out about a new event, new foods, new people, new smells, new house, whatever it might be, 
we can actually kind of decrease their sensitivity to that newness so that they're more willing to sit at the table, to interact with people, to eat the food. And sometimes I can fall into the trap of they don't need to know this, that information's not for them, they'll be fine, they're really flexible, kids are adaptable, and that's all good and true, but at the end of the day, it's always more helpful. Like think about yourself, the more information you have is typically better. Not always, I do think we can be inundated with too much, but you know, thinking about like going to a birthday party, it would be nice to know what the dress code is. It would be nice to know what time people are coming. It would be nice to know where other people are parking. It would be nice to know when they think the event's going to be over. It would be nice to know if they're serving dinner or if they're serving light appetizers or if dessert will be there or if we're expected to be, bring a present, right? Like having all that information makes you walk into a birthday party more confident, right? Even if you're a confident person, even if you're not worried about it, it's nice to have more information. So trying to give our kids a little bit of prep not too much, not, we don't want to overwhelm them, but a little bit of prep. You can sometimes do that through play, through explanations, through pictures, whatever that might be to kind of just run it past them a few times and, and play with them, do some role role playing around what to expect and what they might experience can be so helpful in setting them up for success. So that is a really big tip. Even if it's just 30 minutes of prep, even if it's right before the event, whatever that might be. Another quick tip, just mom to mom that I would recommend. And this is the last one is dress them in comfy clothes. I cannot tell you the, we've already talked about all the stimulation that they're going to go through during the holidays. When you add that one extra layer of like a shirt that doesn't fit right, you can't run around and play in it. The tag is itching the back of your neck. You feel tight and constricted. It's a material you don't like, especially with picky eaters, especially picky eaters with sensory issues. When you start adding sensory issues through their clothing, learn from my mistakes comfy clothes. Sweats, they make sweats that look pretty nice nowadays. All right. They they go to Carter's, go figure out some target, a quick target run and get some elastic clothes. I mean, think about you. It's like, I would love and do wear like leggings and comfortable jeans that fit or sweatshirts or, you know, nice big over cozy sweaters that are nice and soft or whatever, right? Our kids are the same way. And when we're adding just that one extra layer of stimulation, to their physical body, it's really hard to be comfortable at the table. So give them some comfy clothes. All right, mom to mom. I hope that tip is helpful. I know it's helped me and saved me, especially with my like quote unquote picky eater who's no longer picky, but um, who was, that was a big role that it played in it. And I didn't even know it for so, so long. So um, I hope that was helpful. I hope this entire episode was helpful. I hope you share it with a friend. If it was, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving and a happy holidays and a Merry Christmas and all of the things. Um, I'll still be running podcasts, but I thought this episode would be helpful to have now to use throughout the next few weeks. All right. I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you're walking away with some tangible ways to bring peace to your mealtimes. And if you like this episode, please subscribe and tell all your mom friends. And as always, the best compliment you can give me is leaving a rating and written review, which also helps other mamas like you find this podcast too. You can find more from me on Instagram at Nutrition for Littles. Do you have a question you'd like me to answer on the podcast? Email me at alyssa at nutritionforlittles.com. All right, until next time, mamas.